Welcome to the Fit40 Podcast, where we take all the confusing, conflicting fitness and nutrition information and break it down so that you can live your healthiest, strongest, most energized life. I'm your host, Brian Fitzsimmons. Let's get it started. So today we're going to be going over three big topics. First one is what's the deal with shocking your body and is it the best when it comes to trying to gain muscle and strength, uh, trying to get toned and all of that. Number two is some <clears throat> red flags and green flags for when you're seeing stuff on the internet from other coaches, from other nutrition and fitness experts, like some things that you should look for and some things that you should avoid, like the plague. And then last but not least is that one thing that we need to do to start changing. And that is for a lot of people hitting rock bottom, but it's not as sad as it sounds. We will dig into it a little bit more. So let's just start with first and foremost is everybody's favorite topic. When somebody says, I just want to shock the shock my body. I want to shock the muscles. And let me start by saying there's no such thing as shocking your body. Okay, when you have that initial like shock in your body, it's not some super signal telling your body, hey, you got to adapt really fast and you got to put on a lot of muscle. That's not it. It's a novel stimulus. It's the same type of stimulus you would get if you didn't run for years and then you went on a jog and your calves are all lit up. That does not mean your calves are going to get super strong and build a ton of muscle. It just means that it's sore because you haven't done it in a long time time. Another thing that it could be is that it's just very poor recovery. If you're doing a really good diet or a really good workout program, but your recovery is not on par and your body doesn't have what it needs to adapt, then it will be a whole lot more sore than it should be. And last but not least, it could be bad programming. So if you're doing way too much volume, if you're doing way too many sets, way too many reps with way too much weight, then no no wonder your body's just going to be wrecked. And unfortunately, what this method usually leads to is one, subpar results, two, possibly injury, and three, it really wrecks your hormones from a physiological standpoint because it really just puts you in a place where your body is constantly stressed and you feel like shit. So we don't want to be chasing the shocking your body. We really want to be going after trying to program in a way that accounts for your individual level of recovery. So if you're a mom who barely sleeps because their kids wake them up 10 times a night, who doesn't even have enough time to cook themselves dinner, they're always getting stuff on the go, and your nutrition, your hydration, your sleep is not in a good place, and you're trying to do these shocking workouts like seven days a week, it's a recipe for disaster. But if you do everything correctly, and you give yourself the right amount of work, and you do all the right things, then you'll actually notice that your body doesn't feel shocked. And that's usually a good thing because it means that you're recovering properly, you're gaining muscle, you're gaining bone mineral density and all that other good stuff. Because one of the best indicators of muscle growth is doing the exact same workout and it feeling easier. So you're using the exact same weights, the exact same sets and reps. And compared to day one, when you're now on like week two, week three, it's starting to get easier. That means your body's adapting and that is a good thing. 
but that's my two cents on that. What do you think, Jillian? What's your personal experience with it? Yeah, so I definitely thought that shocking your body or doing different workouts was the way to go. Um, I, I mean, how do you, how would you progress if you're doing something different every single day? You know, how would you know that you're progressing? I mean, that's one thing that you taught me. And then we literally stick to the same program for six to 12 weeks. We tried 12 weeks and it was just too long for me, but six weeks is kind of that sweet spot. And then through that whole program, you are progressing every single week. So like, if I were to change out the workouts all the time and keep switching them up to shock my body, I would not be progressing the way in any of my lifts that I've have yeah and it's because like that initial like that first workout always feels harder than the second and third and fourth because your body's really main priority is learning the movement and when you never have a chance to learn the movement and get better at being more efficient in the movement the adaptation that your body creates from doing that movement isn't the same week one as it is like week four, five, six, like there's different stages of adaptation and exercise. And if you're always in that learning stage, you're getting like very little benefit from the exercises that you're actually doing. Yeah. And I, I, I also think that going into it that way with a plan and progressing slowly, I feel like I come out of my workouts feeling better than when I went into them. You know, I mean, that first week of a new program definitely wrecks my body. Like I feel it, but it's because it's a new stimulus. It's different. We switch up the different exercises and stuff like that. But I mean, generally I go in or come out feeling better than I went in. And I didn't do that originally. I was trying to destroy my body every day and it's just not how it works. Like it's just, it didn't work. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. It, I truly think it does come from almost like a punishing mindset where it's like, I'm making up for bad habits. I'm punishing myself because I feel badly about like how I'm treating myself and what I'm eating. And I don't deserve to be taking it easy, or I don't deserve to feel good because I'm in here to beat myself up until I get to look the way I want to look. And until I look a certain way, I don't deserve happiness. And maybe, yeah, no, that's seriously how it was. Cause I, like, I would do like a 20 minute, like hit thing on YouTube. And I wouldn't be sweating enough. So I'd do another one, like a different one. So I definitely fell into that trap. And I was like laying on the floor, sweating my butt off, thinking that was the way. It's just not, I didn't see any progress as far as like any muscle gain. I never got stronger. I was so scared to lift heavier weights, things like that. And then, I don't know. It's just the common misconception with that is just crazy to me. But we don't know until we know. Yeah. And also a very good input here from Amy asking, how do you trick your brain from becoming bored with doing the same thing for many weeks by the end of those last few weeks, hating doing them due to being bored. And honestly, I totally get it. Like if it comes down to like the boredom factor, it is tough, but that's where psychology and physiology kind of are at odds a little bit because Ideally, in a perfect world, we want to start focusing on instead of sensation, we want to focus on progress and getting obsessed with trying to do more weight and being really proud of the fact that we've done that, or just the fact that you're feeling better and appreciating the fact that we're focusing on treating ourselves, not beating ourselves up. And when it comes to a variety, the best thing that I love to do, especially like when it comes to trying to scratch that variety itch, like if somebody really, really needs it is changing up the end of the workout. 
So like the beginning is like our bread and butter. We want that to be the big, the big movements that we know get us the best bang for our buck. So everybody right now watching knows I am a huge fan of squats, RDLs, bench pressing or push-ups, rows or pull downs or or chin-ups those are where we're going to get the most bang for our buck but at the very end like where we do the arms or the abs or anything like that i'm never really going to get upset if somebody changes that part up because that's supposed to be the fun part that keeps everybody engaged and everything like that so if that's what we have to do or if anybody watching right now if you think that like that would be a good idea for your workout that's the way to do it just keep the bread and butter exercises and have fun at the end yeah, I think that that's a good tip. I, I I think towards the end of that six weeks, but I don't know, because like the last six week block that we had, you told me that it was the end and I'm like, what? Like, I'm not ready for this. I am a creature of habit and any kind of wrench thrown into my day is like, I don't like switching it up at all. Like every time I see the new program, I'm like, oh, I hate this. And then I end up loving it, obviously, but I hate switching up my workouts. <laughs> but yeah, then I couldn't and- do the 12 weeks. We tried it and I couldn't <laughs> do it. It is tough. I'll give you that. It is very tough to stick with a program for a certain amount of time, depending on what you're used to, because that's the other thing too, that sometimes we really got to like get out of our own way a little bit and, and say like, listen, like the variety, like for the people that go way too deep in the, into the variety and do a different workout every single time, eventually you just got to hit that point that where you're like, what I'm doing isn't working. Like, it or what I'm doing is working a little bit, but nowhere near what I want it to. So changing the methodology, giving the a new way a chance. And then instead of basing your reaction or like your pleasure with the program on how you feel day to day, base it on the results from the very beginning compared to the very end. And if results is what you're truly after, then that should be the measuring stick, not the feelings in between. But it really depends on the person because like, I know that when, where I used to work, we had a, we would get like trainings and stuff on different types of people. And one thing that a lot of people um, don't really talk about a lot when it comes to programming is how some people are different in different places when it comes to things like certainty and uncertainty. So to explain that a little bit, some of us really like the exact same thing every every single day, and that puts us at ease mentally. There's other people that are like, I need to do something different because I get so freaking bored so freaking fast. And then there's everybody in between. So that's why like really good programmers for exercise and training and stuff like that are good at understanding where people lie on that scale. And that is another reason why you never really want to judge the first program. And like everybody here knows, like when I make a program, I tell you like, this is not going to be perfect. <laughs> like we both got to go back and forth and figure it out a little bit to make sure that it's perfect for you. Would you, yeah. would you say we've had a few of those conversations, Jillian or Amy or Cam yeah. or anybody? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, when we first started working together, like I remember you asked me what kind of like cardio that I liked. And I said that I liked hit cardio. Well, truth be told, I didn't like, like I, once we actually started working in that, I'm like, you know what? I would much rather be over in the weight section. <laughs> I, I love walking and hiking and things like that. But as far as like getting your heart rate, super elevated running, things like that. Like I, I would rather do steady state cardio than, than hit cardio. 
But yeah. I didn't know that until, you know, you programmed it. And I'm like, I mean, I liked it, but like, it wouldn't be my first choice. Like I'll, I'll do it if you tell me to, but that's about as far as that goes. I'm never, I'm never going to ask for that again. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, when people do hit cardio, the, in the traditional sense, the right way, the first time, yeah, like, yeah I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> it's you, hard. If you do hit correctly, it only takes like five, 10, 15 minutes max, because if you're not giving an effort, like on whatever your cardio you're doing, whether that's a bike, a sprint, swimming, whatever, if you're not like ready to puke because you're putting in that much effort before you get your rest period, you're not doing hit. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm the one over here that takes like a six minute rest between uh, deadlifting. So <laughs> that's where yep. I stand. Yep. And that's more, and that's like why, <laughs> that's why. A lot of people really don't understand the feeling of like giving your absolute all because you need that much rest. And that's right. also why strength training is one of the best things you can do, especially from a hormonal standpoint, because that yeah. adequate rest helps your body a ton. But yeah, I think we pretty yeah. much nailed that. Let's move on because I feel like we could definitely do two hours on this. <laughs> I know. I know. How much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're 15 minutes in. Let's keep this rolling. All uh, right. Let's go. Next, next is red and green flags for trainers. So basically this next section is how to know if a coach or an influencer or some marketing tactic is completely full of shit or not. So there's a really good way that it was explained to me when I was at uh, Raise the Bar down in Dallas, Texas this past February from one of the best known celebrity trainers, Don Saldino. This guy trains Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, Hugh Jackman, like pretty much anybody that you've ever seen in any movie that was a lead, he's probably trained them. And he put it very, very well when he said, there's a difference between fluff and lies. Like, Everybody uses marketing fluff because otherwise people don't buy. So you could have the world's best program, the most scientifically sound thing in the world. But if you put on there hypertrophy conjugate, like systemized programming for the like whatever, like I'm all, I'm bored just saying it. <laughs> the average person does not buy something like that. Now, if you say sexy glutes by summer, bang all of a sudden everybody buys it. And that's just a, a marketing thing because you do have to weigh the pros and cons of fluff and fact. Now, that is completely different than somebody saying like 10-minute abs because that's insinuating that you're going to get abs in 10 minutes. Or when you hear the V-shred the v guy say you need this specific type of diet for your specific body type or a blood type diet or something in the realm of like hormones or another good one, like a hormonal reset diet. Like that is just a straight up lie because there's nothing from a food standpoint that could fix your hormones to that degree if your hormones are actually truly imbalanced. So you really want to understand what's fluff, what's lies, and understand if they're trying to confuse you to sell something or just to get you excited about it. All right. And the other thing is like when you see somebody say, oh, this is something that your doctor or the government or big like whatever doesn't want you to know. Only I know it. Like that's a 
big, big red flag or these stupid, sexy exercises that you are the only part of their programming, like those combination exercises are the entire program. That's a very big red flag that the person doesn't know what they're doing. They probably don't have any certifications at all and don't understand the concepts that surround training, the principles that get you the results. Now, on the flip side, some green lights are people that provide context, people that provide nuance. And when you see simpler approaches, so if you see somebody that says like, this is a very simple standard program, that's probably a good sign. <laughs> and even though they're not the best marketer in the world, if they're saying this is like a no BS, very simplified program, it's probably very good. Or with nutrition, somebody that says this is like, the bare minimum that you need to know, or like that gives you a lot of background information, gives you a lot of context and says, in this situation, for this type of person, for this exact protocol, you can expect this to happen. Those are very good things to look for. And that's what like, I personally try to do on this page as much as I possibly can. So those are just some like general guidelines. I'm curious, Jillian, is there anything that you've seen that like you are like, wow, the BS meter is flying through the roof or like, or you've seen somebody that you know is really smart and you're just like, God, they just, they're not really exciting me on anything that they're doing. Yeah. I think the one thing is um, that I can, uh, that I've seen personally is like, people who are, have a product that they're trying to sell. Like you, you can't get these results without this product. It could be a supplement. It could be a diet plan, which only registered dietitians are technically allowed to prescribe actual, like this is the meal A, B, and C that you're eating. Not, not the macros, not the calories. It's like a specific diet plan because, yep. and, and okay. If they say that they do prescribe that and they legally can, are they telling you why you have to eat that or how you can still enjoy foods in your daily life without them? Or are they making you dependent on their program and their specific supplements or whatever they're selling? That's what I see the most. And unfortunately, it, sticking to the basics, the tried and true is not pretty. It's just, it's the same thing every single day. And that doesn't sell. People want the, you know, two day glute builder workout because that's, that's what sells, but sticking to the basics is really the way. And, you know, I just, I see people duped a lot with the supplements and the, the diet plans. And, you know, you can only eat this, you can only eat that. You can't eat that. This is bad. And it's, it's not sustainable long-term. It's just not. Yeah. And honestly, the more dietitians that I talk to and like anybody in the nutrition space, like nutritionists, anybody that gives you an actual like concrete meal plan and says, this is it, you can't go off of it is like 20 years behind because clearly meal plans do not work. We've seen it over and over and over again. They've done studies on this. Like the only thing that leads to people actually losing weight for the long term is diet strategies. When you learn principles instead of just sticking to like a concrete, very rigid program where if you don't follow it to a T, you're off the plan. And when you're off the plan, it's your fault. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people quote unquote fall off the wagon because they think that, well, I didn't stick to exactly what I was supposed to be doing, not allowing for any freedom in any other way. And it just doesn't, I mean, like on Easter, I ate pie. I had all the mashed potatoes. I had everything that I wanted, but I didn't fall off the plan because that's part of my plan. 
if it doesn't include those things, then not good. Yeah. And honestly, you could have even made a case back in the day, like for bodybuilders or CrossFitters or powerlifters. And let me just tell you that like really knowledgeable coaches, they don't make you eat specific foods unless they're like those older coaches that have been doing this for like 20, 30 years. And they're like, well, so-and-so won using this or whatever. Like I got to 6% body fat sticking to to macros. Like my coach said, you have this much protein, this many carbs, this much fat, eat whatever, like basically whatever you want. And let's get like some fruit and veggies in there. And you're pretty much good to go. And that allowed me to eat a ton of different stuff. I was eating freaking Skittles, like bacon, eggs, like a bunch of different stuff. And that's just like proof that you don't need to be very rigid when it comes to certain things like that. And if somebody's trying to make you feel like you need to, then they really don't know what they're talking about or they're trying to dupe you. Yeah, they should give you the tools to set you up for success long-term, not you can't do this without me. If any coach ever makes you feel like you can't do this without them, then just, they, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be a long-term Band-Aid thing. It should be a, I mean, you can stick with your coach long-term if you like them, obviously, but you know, they should give you the tools within the first couple of years to do this on your own without them if needed be, you know? And I, yeah. I know there's a lot of things where I've asked you like, well, why are we doing this with my calories? Or are you sure I could go that high with my calories or whatever? And you're like, yeah, and this is why we're doing it. And you've always had an answer for everything. It's never like, well, it's because I said so. And that's why it's like, <laughs> no, there's, there's a reason for it. And then, you know, I get the results that I want because I follow this plan, but there's still no falling off of the wagon because I, like I, I eat ice cream all the time. So, or, you know, anything like we, I don't know, anything that just makes it so it's one size fits all is not good. Yeah. And honestly, now that you said that, I'm like, I might just mess with you guys this week and be like, well, cause I said so and not give you anything yeah. else just to see how you all react. <laughs> honestly, I'd probably still do it just because I've trusted you this whole time. So, but I would yes. be, I would be, We're at that level. It, but I would, yeah, but I would still do it. Yeah. All right. Now, well, if you, gave me, hey, you said it. Now, if you if you put hit training in my uh my program, I'm a I'm a head out. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I promise I won't. We're past that. Now, the <laughs> other the big thing I wanted to touch on here is the one that I see the most, and at least in my feed, because we all have specifically curated feeds. That's why none of us can agree politically or when it comes to nutrition or anything like that. But on my specific feed, I see a lot of hormone stuff and a lot of people that like believe because they took a weekend certification that they can fix everybody's hormones. Meanwhile, you have endocrinologists that are like, well, it could be like 10 different things. So we're going to have to test for this. So when you see somebody saying like, oh, they could just like rebalance your hormones through nutrition and it's only through certain foods, that being a big, big red flag, just so everybody here knows some of the biggest net, like natural factors when it comes to your hormonal profile and possibly being out of balance are things like exercise, like we talked about before, pushing it way too hard or not doing any at all. Second is, is nutrition. Like make, if you have nothing but really crappy foods and your body is deficient in a bunch of different things, it's probably setting you up to be in a very bad place. 
Okay. Another one is stress. And that one, when it comes to stress can be many different things. It can be exercising as a stressor. It could be mental stress. It could be situational stress. Like when you're taking care of your parents, maybe they're ill or your kids are driving you nuts on a consistent basis, having trouble at school, like those types of things. Um, and then also sleep is a very big one. If your sleep is trash and you think some sort of nutritional, like uh, program is going to fix you up. It's not. Because if you can't get somewhat decent sleep, then there's that's one of those basic rock foundational things that if it's not right, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find any supplements or like some medications possibly like I got to double check with the better half, but there are probably not as uh, I don't know how to phrase it, you're probably not going to get as as good of an effect from certain things if you don't have the basics like sleep, like stress, like nutrition and exercise down. So attack the low hanging fruit first. Yeah, it's just kind of optimizing what you what tools you can already have. Like, um, I didn't realize how much sleep impacted your mood, your energy. I mean, obviously your energy, but like, I didn't realize that until you told me to go to bed one hour earlier, like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And I'm like, all right. Cause I was the one that, you know, used to go to bed at 10, 11 and I have to drag my butt out of bed, you know, to get up in the morning with the kids. And, and now I'm going to bed around by nine o'clock and I'm up at four 30 every morning. Like even on the weekends, if I can sleep until six, six 30, that's like sleeping into me. And it's, I was never like that before, but I have so much more energy. Sleep well, I like so how you important. threw, I like how you threw the weekends in there because that's one of the biggest problems a lot of people have is not having a consistent sleep and wake time on the weekends and the week. So like if you're going to bed at like 10 at night during the week and you're waking up at like say six in the morning uh, during the week, that should be exactly the same on the weekend. And if it's yeah. not, that can actually put you in almost like what's considered like very similar to jet lag. So we're all Sleep kind jet. of going we're all kind of going into Monday hungover and jet lagged. And that's why a lot of people, for a lot of people, Mondays just straight up suck. Yep. Yeah. you put yourself into sleep debt. And even though it only seems like two days, well, it takes you four days to recover from that. Even if you stay up for an extra two hours a night, I mean, that's, that's a big difference. And yeah. most of us have children and my kids do not sleep in. They are, it doesn't matter what day it is they are up at the butt crack of dawn every day. So. <laughs> yep. And we didn't even cover the big one that I totally left out when it comes to hormones and it, it, it does affect sleep too. And that's alcohol. If you yes. have the smallest amount of alcohol, it messes with your sleep. So even if you are getting to bed at a perfect time, every single day, your quality is going to be trash. The second alcohol enters your system. Now, Obviously, if you have less, it's not going to be as bad as as if you have more. But make no mistake that like, I don't know if anybody saw the new study that said that alcohol actually isn't good for you in low doses. <laughs> but now that's making, that's making the rounds in the in the magazines, like every every fitness professional like worth their salt looked at that and were like, no shit. <laughs> Like, yeah, we know this, like if you're having a glass of wine every single night 
and you go from that to like maybe just only on weekends, you're going to have this whole new fresh breath that you had no idea existed. You're going to be like the freaking energizer bunny compared to your previous self. Yeah. Well, I mean, they used to tell, like my mom used to say that a glass of wine a day was healthy for her. I mean, times are changing. <laughs> well, the, the idea behind that was the, um, I'm going to, I am a hundred percent going to mess up the pronunciation, but the reservatrol, resveratrol, like I totally, I, I'm giving up on it immediately, but I do know that the dosage that you would actually need to get the health benefits, you would need to drink an absurd amount of wine to get enough because it, in wine, there really isn't that that many healthy benefits that, as far as dosage is concerned. Are the right ingredients in there? Absolutely. But when it comes to any ingredient, whether you're saying it's good, whether you're saying it's bad, it all comes down to the dosage. And if it's not right, then it's not right. Yeah. I know the argument used to be the antioxidants or whatever, but like, that too. you know, eat, eat some blueberries. I don't know. Yeah, you're Come better on. off eating you're better off eating the grapes rather than drinking them. R right, right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I I'll, don't know how to pronounce that word. Don just Don just wrote it. I don't know how to say that. Resveratrol. Res <laughs> Thank you, Don. <laughs> I appreciate that. But everybody I've never knows. heard that. Oh yeah, that's like that's like one of the big ones that like they would pull out and say, This is why you should drink it. But again, if the dosage isn't right, then it's not right. Because right. at the end of the day, water is great for you, but you can still drown. Yep. All right. Uh, that's a good way to transition. <laughs> Next is, last <laughs> but not least, how, like why most people have to hit rock bottom to finally change. Another one of the big things that I heard when I was at the conference this past weekend, I know I've heard it in the past, but some they say the best things that you hear, like you don't need to learn more new things. It's just hearing the right things again and again. So they get solidified in your brain because for a lot of people to finally make that change, the pain of staying the same has to be worse than the pain of change. Because if you don't have something pushing you to make that change, you're not gonna, it's just not human. Why the hell would we want to change if we don't have to now? The problem with that is, is that a lot of people are on a path towards type two diabetes. They're on a path towards losing their independence, like not being able to run around with their kids. They're on a path that's going to lead them towards like, again, the diabetes, like getting amputations or needing surgery way sooner than they need to needing a new hip or a new knee in their forties and fifties, rather than their sixties and seventies. And now they're not going to be able to live life at a high quality, like they should be able to. So even though we're not feeling it right now, we can get ahead of it, but it really comes down to like what exactly we want to do for the rest of our lives. Do we want to keep continuing down the path that is leading us towards things that we don't want, or do we want to start making that change? And don't get me wrong. There will be some people that hear this or that have been doing it that are like, I see the writing on the wall and I don't want that. But unfortunately, when we're looking at the, the statistics being that over 54% of the US population is obese right now, and then in like two thirds or three quarters of the US population is overweight. Clearly, a lot of people are not going to learn that lesson until it's too late or until they've hit that point of no return.
But luckily for some people, they will hit rock bottom at the right time. It just depends on what that thing is. And I know Jillian, you mentioned to me, you had a really good rock bottom moment that was like, kicked your ass into gear and said, I need to change. Yeah, it was as simple as trying to put my socks on. And I was sitting on the edge of my bed and my stomach was basically in the way and I was out of breath by the time I had my second sock on my foot. And that was two years ago. And I was, I wasn't even at my heaviest at that point. I was only around 200 pounds where at my heaviest, I was easily 30, 40 pounds more than that. But I, I just realized that, you know, both my parents have health issues. So I, I just couldn't risk it. I couldn't keep up with my kids. And at that, literally at that moment, I was like, something has got to change. And from that day forward, I told myself, I am going to do everything I can every day to get to where I need to be, to be healthy for my children. And that was just a very eye-opening moment. I was 30, 29 years old and I couldn't put a sock on without getting out of breath. Like, come on. That was my yeah. moment where I was, I was like, I was embarrassed, you know, it was not good. Yeah. And like you said, during that whole time, because you did a very good a very good job of explaining that it's like an ownership thing. Like you own the fact that it was like something you needed to change because I know a lot of times, especially with the family dynamic, sometimes people try and like guilt their family into bettering their health, but it never works because guilt, if we went around and like yelled at people in the street and said, you're too fat, you should put that sandwich down, stop drinking that soda. You know what the immediate reaction is? Screw you. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Or they feel so horrible about themselves that they go home and double down. So it really comes, it really comes down to the individual doing it for themselves. Yeah. And I, I think you just have to be sick enough of your own shit to change. I mean, that's the bottom line and nobody did it to me. I did it to myself. Nobody could help me get out of that. I had to make the changes. So that was the day I just, I got it in my head of where do I want to be and how, how do I get to that? You know, how do I get one step closer to that every day? So my first thing was just walking more. I just went for like a 30 minute walk with my dogs every day. And that was my first step into changing into that. And the rest is history, really. Exactly. And one of the biggest things that you accomplished, and I know I see Kim commenting here too, because I know she accomplished this too, and many others in in the group, like you basically created a new identity for yourself. Yeah. You you took all the old habits that you did and the old ways of thinking and created this new improved version of yourself where it's like, what would the fit healthy version of me do? And then you did it. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the the biggest things that people have issues with too, because I know I did, like I completely ghosted everything. Like for three months, I didn't go on social media. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing because I didn't want the judgment from anybody or the outside influence of, oh, you're okay. You're how you are. You don't need to change. Cause I'm like, no, I need to change. And if I have any outside, you know, people telling me anything different then I don't think I could, you know, continue on. But I, um, I just, I don't know that that day was just, it was literally a life-changing day. And yeah, like, like Kem said, you want to be here for your kids and your grandkids. That's, that's my thing too. Cause both of my parents are very, very sickly and they're early sixties. Yeah. And this is like, I know I can't comment on this because I'm not a parent, but I have interviewed tons of them. I have 
a lot of good friends that are trainers also that have said something in this realm where it's like, when it comes to kids and grandkids, they could be your best excuse or your best reason. Yes, I completely agree with that. And another thing too, that I would like to add is that I also want my kids to see how, what I didn't have growing up. I mean, we always had like home cooked meals. We didn't eat out a lot, you know, things like that, but I never saw my parents exercise my, you know, when I was, my mom was, I think mid to late thirties when she collapsed from taking the groceries in it with a heart attack. That was traumatic. I don't want to be like that. I don't want my kids to see that. So I want to make a change for my kids. My, my son loves working out with me. He's seven. You know, he's, he's so excited to go down there and lift his little three pound dumbbells. And I, I just want that change for them. But yeah, I would never use my kids as an excuse of why I, I actually, I was listening to another podcast and they were saying, well, you know, a lot of people say, well, I can't do this or, or I am the way I am because of my kids. Can you imagine telling your child I am the way I am like obese or unhealthy because of you? No, get healthy for them. Let them see you do it so then they can follow in your footsteps and see those healthy habits and make it fun. Yeah. And speaking as a son, I'll tell you this, there is no better feeling than when you see your mom or your dad get that spark like that, like when you know they're on it and they're taking their health and their fitness seriously and you like check in with them and they're like, there is I know a lot of people really probably don't keep tabs on how they sound or how they look to others, but to see that, like, I don't know what to call it, that like glow of like, I care about my health and I'm really like improving myself from a, from a perspective of a child, of the child of somebody, it feels incredible. And it makes you feel really good seeing your parents take their health very seriously. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't say the same. I wish I could, but but my kids will see that with me. So changing the script every day and just doing for them what I didn't have. I mean, that's the that's my bottom line. I just want to be here for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good place to end it because at the end of the day, we're doing this for our families. We're doing this to like make sure that we're here kicking and making sure that we can run around with the grandkids and be there for life's best moments in the way that we want to. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and you're a new listener, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss another episode. And if you're a returning listener, I would love your feedback. If you could take two seconds to just leave a quick review on iTunes or Spotify and rate the show, that would be greatly appreciated. So thank you in advance and have a great rest of your week.